This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody, Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, Town Hall Academy, Week 351. So happy to have the coaches back, another coaches lab. We should record what we talk about in the green room before we come on. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, that'd be good. Some of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's always so much fun to have the coaches here. We're going to talk about, are you stealing from yourself? Pretty profound thought. Before we jump too far into this, high fives to our great partners. You know, fixing cars faster, well, that means more money in your pocket. Check in swiftly, provide estimates, and streamline your workflow with Shopware. Enjoy a smooth ride, smooth ride through every step of the day and boost your automotive business with Get Shopware. And when you turn to Delphi Technologies for your chassis needs, quality is always at the forefront. Material and dimensional enhancements as well as 700 hours worth of salt spray testing goes into each and every chassis part produced. Visit my friends at DelphiAftermarket.com to see over 8,000 chassis parts. Yeah, 8,000 Delphi has in stock. Okay, coaches, Rick White, 180biz at 180biz.com. Bill Haas, Haas Performance Consulting at haasperformanceconsulting.com. And the great Murray Voth from the Great White North. RPM Training at rpmtraining.net. Hi, Murray. Hi, Carm. Hi, guys. So are you stealing from yourself? Great topic. Love this topic. It just won't matter. I'll just take a hundred bucks here and a hundred bucks there. And I guess if the boss can do it, maybe so can I. And can you imagine what the ultimate result would be when it comes to succession and or eventual sale by not reporting everything? And yeah, you can go into a long diatribe on tax issues and Hunt Demarest who's on the Aftermarket Radio Network. He's covered that. You don't want to hear from a CPA what he feels and believes about, but you probably want to hear from these great coaches. Rick, is it a failure to report income as a crime? Well, it is. Failure to report income is absolutely a crime and it is punishable. The IRS does not like you playing with what they could possibly get for money. It's one of those things where I actually, it was funny, I started, I was coaching a truck shop and out down in South Carolina, a class A tractor trailer shop and was a wife running the shop. Great lady. Her husband was a guest of the federal government. And come to find out six months later, it was for tax evasion. So he spent four years in prison and I helped her run the company while he was gone. So it was uh, not a great scene to be in. And I'm going to tell you now, the worst people you want to borrow money from (laughs) is the state or the government. (laughs) It gets very, very expensive, very, very fast. So you really don't want to do that. I had a shop in Massachusetts reach out to me, a gas station, and he was talking to me about how he needed coaching because he couldn't pay his bills. I'm looking at his numbers and something did not seem right. And I asked him, I said, are you taking cash out? And he goes, oh, yeah. And I said, how much? And He goes about 200,000 a year. And I said, you don't need coaching. You need to make more deposits. When you take cash from the business, you are strangling cash flow and you end up in a situation where you can't pay your bills. And it's because you're taking the cash because you're concerned about what the taxes are going to be. I think you just said something so profound that it's possible, guys, that we don't concentrate enough on cash flow or the cash flow statement where the money goes. And and I think you brought up something really big. Maybe you'll cover it. Maybe you won't. Bill, your perspective on this, what are you telling your clients when you discover this big of a hole? They think that by taking the cash, it prevents them from paying taxes. And it's like, that's our goal. Our ultimate goal is to not have to pay taxes. 
And our goal should be to be paying taxes. Paying taxes is the reward for doing well. Now, granted, I, I'm like everybody else. I don't want to pay any more than I should be paying or that, than I have to pay. But I should understand that I need to pay my share. But if your goal, if your objective in all of this is to see, can I screw the government? It's mine. I should just take it. Yeah, but it's got to be reported as well. I think the thing that I look at is the guy that takes the cash out of the soda machine or, you know, takes a vacation and says, well, I'll write the vacation off. All right. I'll justify that. I, I made a call back to the shop. So I conducted business while I was on vacation. I'm writing a vacation off. What they don't understand is it's those things as small as they may seem that add up. And it's only takes one of those things to raise a red flag to the IRS. And once that red flag is raised, Katie bar the door because they don't stop. They look at it and go, if I figured out that you're taking cash out of the soda machine, there's a pretty good chance you're doing something else too. And we are mm. digging till we find it. Yeah, I've got a friend of mine that went through an IRS audit. They made his life absolute hell. It, it was miserable for over four years. Well, Bill, the IRS is what where proctologists go for training. <laughs> That's right. They're going to find it. No matter where they got to go, they're going to find it. Oh, it's going to get dirty and ugly. You bet it is. And like I say, you know, that friend of mine that went through it, his life was absolutely miserable. Just and painful. Upside mm -hmm. down. I mean, just you can't imagine what it does to your life, what it does to your mm -hmm. family. Did I hear they're going to hire 84,000 new IRS agents too? Yeah, I wonder why that is. Yeah, I've had a couple of run-ins with the IRS throughout my life. They, they were not fun ones. No. Right? They were not fun. They would, I did not enjoy them. They didn't send me a Christmas card. None of it. Did you, did you guys know that I'm fully exempt from ever having to deal with the IRS? You got yeah. yours. No kidding. You got yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, ours is called the CRA. <laughs> But I would imagine uh, it's very much the same. Oh, all joking aside, it is very much the same. If I could speak into the cash flow, the risk, we could even go down the path of, like you said, Bill, our share. I mean, I have a good accountant, right? And good accountant said to me once, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. There is some room. There is some interpretation. And, and you go with a professional accountant and they will guide you. And there's there are benefits from owning a, a business. There are, right? There's a few legitimate things that you can expense as a business owner that help you. But I really circle back to the value of the company, the concept of you just haven't created a job for yourself. You just haven't created a place to take money out to pay your, your personal bills. You're building value. You're building wealth within the company. And I had a young fellow the other day, I, it, this comes from the business valuation side of things, but he said, for every dollar I take cash out of my company, I reduce the value of my company by $3 because of the valuation, you know, the way they do business valuations, right? Like Bob Ward and those types of guys, right? But the biggest thing I think that I learned in my years from my mentors was the role, role model. And you said this, Carm. I had a service station. We had a convenience store, car wash, fuel, the whole bit. If I wanted a chocolate bar, I paid for the chocolate bar. If my kids came in and got a chocolate bar, they paid for the chocolate bar. Like their friends used to say when they're in elementary school, oh, you're so lucky. Your dad's got a candy store. And they're like, no, we're not. He makes us pay. And we, right? Yeah. Like we paid at the, my wife paid for her own fuel at the pumps. 
right? We paid for our repairs because that way all the staff knew that this is all above board because then all of a sudden you're a role model to them because how many people can steal a chocolate bar or a technician do a tire repair and cash the money, et cetera, et cetera. To me, that's probably one of the biggest differences that just makes it an even playing field and just working with ethical, honorable people. Well, and people are watching you all the time. Absolutely. And I've got two things I'd like to just touch on. One from Bill. Yeah, cash flow is an issue. And one of the things I've seen is where you have somebody that's starting a shop or they've been in it for five or six years, but they don't have the cash flow to pay themselves, but they still decide to pay themselves anyway. And they're paying themselves $1,500, $2,000 a week sometimes. And it's like, you can't afford this right now. The company, you can't do this. Your company can't handle this. And they're like, well, that's what I need. And I said, well, then you better get your company up and running because this can't, you're on a slippery slope right here. So that's the first thing we got to be careful of, right? With the cash flow and everything. We take too much without understanding it. And the P&L, and I had this problem for the longest time, the P&L, you know, I'd look at it and say, okay, I made $10,000 profit this month. But then I look at the bank and I only went up two grand. And I'm like, okay, the P&L, that's just, I used to call it paper profit. It's not real. And it's because I didn't understand the interrelation between the P&L and the balance sheet. Right. Because there's financial tra- transactions that happen on the balance sheet that affect that profit. And we call the way we track that a cash flow statement. So when you're looking at your monthly numbers, you need to look at your P&L. And don't just go down like this and look at the bottom. Look at your P&L. How did you do with gross profit? How were your expenses? What was your net profit? And then look at your cash flow statement and your balance sheet to see what activity is happening on there that's going to affect it. In other words, if I show a profit of $10,000 and $4,000 of it went to accounts receivable, I just reduced cash flow by $4,000. Right. And that all happened on the balance sheet. That's why you don't see it. So you got to make sure you understand cash flow. Well, and Rick, to that, what if you have a business loan, right? Where's the principal payment on that business loan? It's, it's going on the balance sheet. Yeah. Right. So your credit card, sales tax, payroll taxes, those are all balance sheet items, but they affect profit. And what you've got to be able to understand is really you got to look at your profit number and make sure you're profitable because you can you can have positive cash flow and negative profit. So you got to be super super careful with that. But you want to make sure you got profit and you really want to learn your cash flow statement because what I have found most of the time is that misnomer bill. I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to pay taxes. I'm going to open a business and I'm not going to pay taxes. And you're going to be broke the rest of your life. As a business coach, I tell people straight up, first meeting, it's my goal to get you to pay more taxes because that means you're making more money. The problem is there is such an overwhelming number of shops that are in that really painful period where they have profit to where they got to pay tax, but they don't have the cash flow to pay for the tax. That's why that hurts so much. You got to push a little harder, work a little more on it, and you can get on the other side of that and up something from... You can end up from something where you can really end up getting profit. Well, that brings to mind that book, Profit First, Rick. Right. I think you guys have all pushed that book pretty hard. I think you can avoid that painful period of that middle place where you make money and now you have to pay taxes by 
running the program like that book and having those bank accounts where you're setting aside, prepaying the tax already into an account so that you're learning to manage with what you've got and you have that money there to pay. So that's another piece. But something else that you trigger, and Rick and Bill, I mean, brilliant, brilliant wording, uh, guys, on that whole cash flow and balance sheet. The number of times people say, I, I don't know where the money went. I say, did you buy any equipment this year? Uh, well, yeah, I bought this and I bought that. I said, well, that's why there's no money in the bank, but it's over on your balance sheet. But the other thing it brings to mind is credit card use for the business, right? Having a business credit card or having a personal credit card being in the business or vote both. And then this happens to people where their personal credit card is maxed out or or maybe the pin doesn't work or something doesn't happen. So they put something on the on the company card, dinner with the family. Then two weeks later, then they, they you know, they have to buy a new piece for their furnace at their house that goes on the company credit card. And the accountant in the background is not making any moral judgment. They're just putting that over as a shareholder's loan. And that gets pushed over. And next thing you know, at the end of the fiscal year, you've used $70,000 of company credit card space for personal things. And it's become a shareholder's loan. Now, I think our tax laws are similar on that. But in Canada, if you take out $70,000 in a shareholder's loan, you have to pay it within the same fiscal year or you're paying tax on that whole thing personally as a personal tax right? So that's another place where people aren't tracking what they're spending, right? They're not trying to write it off and, and do something illegal in terms of, right? They just forget that they bought that thing and they didn't pay that credit card back from their personal bank account. Right. That's we, another. Well, down here, we call it a distribution. distribution. Typically, if somebody buys something on a credit card that's personal, we assign it to a shareholder distribution, okay. which is treated as income outside of the paycheck and Correct. it's taxed. So yes. it's part of profit. It's taxed. So yeah. it's important to understand these things. I wish I could just shake every person that owns an auto repair shop and then give them a hug and say, you're not here to fix cars. You're here to learn numbers. You're here to learn money. You have to understand how the game works because you can be the best technician. We've said this over and over again. But you can be the best technician. And if you don't understand these financial principles that we're talking about today, you are going to be in so much trouble. Don't leave it to somebody else. Don't leave it to an accountant. If you're waiting for your accountant to tell you you're in trouble, you already are. They are there for taxes. They don't understand the industry. They don't know what you should be charging. They know what the margins are. They don't know what the productivity and stuff should be. You've got to be able to learn. Doesn't mean you got to know it all now, but don't sit there and and say, well, I'm going to fix the cars and I'm not going to worry about that stuff. Well, and here, here's a great accountant story, right? And this is not a knock on accountants. I mean, I love accountants. They have a very specific purpose. And when they're doing their job, they do it well. It has to be done. And you follow what they're telling you when it comes to making sure your taxes are reported and paid, period. Okay. But you have to be careful. And I think this goes to what Rick was just talking about is be careful who you ask for advice. I had a shop owner call me and this is many years ago and said, Bill, can I get you to look at my numbers? He said, it's just not making sense. He said, the accountant tells me we're doing great. We're having a great year. I'm broke, man. I I barely pay the parts bills and, and we're broke. And I said, sure, no problem. Let's take a look at it. Let's see what's going on. So the P&Ls showed... You know, we were like into, you know, over a little over half of the year, right? And it showed like an $80,000 net profit. He's broke. I said, what are you paying yourself? And he says, well, I think this so far this year, I've done about $72,000. And I said, so I don't see that in payroll. He goes, no, it's a distribution. There it is. 
distributions yeah. are on the balance sheet. You made $80,000, but that's been distributed to you as a shareholder. And that's why you're broke. Or how about this one? Anybody that goes to an account, you get an account and at the end of the year, they say, hey, you made a profit, go buy a truck or something. Oh, no. Jeez. Oh, my God. Fire them immediately because you need to understand, yes, you buy the truck for $65,000, you save 28 or 29%, 24% on that $60,000, $65,000 on the truck. But what you just did was saddle yourself with an eight-year payment, and you saved a couple of bucks in taxes, and you just choked the crap out of your cash flow. It always comes to a truck, right? It always seems to be like, go buy a truck, go buy a truck, right? And it's like, here's the best advice I can give you. Buy a truck when you need a truck. Don't buy a truck because you had a good year. year. You buy a truck because you need a truck. Yeah. Better yet, buy cash. Transform your business with Shopware, the shop management solution created by a shop owner for shop owners. Shopware gathers historical actionable data from your repair shop in real time, allowing you to boost profits and streamline operations. With Shopware, you can use metrics to instantly improve your parts pricing. Forget about checking a parts matrix. Shopware can do the math for you and adjust parts pricing as needed based on previous sales. Shopware's GP Optimizer allows you to hit your sales targets and boost profitability. And Shopware can take the guesswork out of your operations, allowing you to make data-driven decisions to help your business be successful. And best of all, Shopware can create unified customer profiles, even if you have more than one shop. Now, that's right. You can have one view for a customer, even if you own two, three, or more shops. Schedule a free demonstration today at GetShopware.com and see Shopware in action for yourself. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line, and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. Thank you so much. I love where this is going. Profit First, Murray, you brought it up. We interviewed Mike Michalowicz, who wrote that great book. So many have adopted his theories, his practices in our industry. You're probably not going to see it in your podcast player because it was in 2019 that we interviewed him. But if you go to my website and type in Profit First, you're going to find lots of episodes on it, including Mike McCallowitz. I remember listening to a bunch of Hunt's episodes as he talked about what is an owner paying themselves. And I can't help to say that it was Hunt saying, I want you to take home sixty-two dollars to $65,000. And he says, everybody tells me that's not enough. You got a really big company. And he says, there's other ways to get you the income that favorably helps you in 
in your tax base. Not that you're going to pay no tax, but there's different ways that those distributions are treated tax-wise. And so, again, you got to get someone who is not just going to present you the P&L take your check and do your taxes, someone who's willing to help you. And I do believe that many CPAs are always have your best heart and interest at hand. But Hunt, in many of his episodes, just go to aftermarketradionetwork.com, click on Hunt and do some searching on his website. Great stuff there on pay. And finally, you guys were talking about the honesty piece. And Rick, I know you'd love to talk about this permission that if you take it, then someone else sees you and, and have it. And I go back to who it was that said, and I couldn't help but think how I was raised and the integrity and the work ethic that was given to me. And then when I hear stories coming on the show, and we're talking about succession and we're talking about selling the business. And I sit down with the individual and he goes, well, we got to right size that P&L. We got to normalize it and put back everything in that I took. How are you going to prove, you know, Murray, how are you going to prove that, that, that you got to add back to my profit structure so I can get a big multiple because I misbehaved, but you have to pay for it. So I can see the numbers in front of me. A good friend of mine was in a, in a transition in his life and, and was thinking of going from what he was doing to buying a shop. And he was a good candidate. He would have been fine. And he said, Murray, you know, you mind looking at a few numbers for me of some possible places that I'm looking at? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll sign an NDA, whatever the broker, whatever you guys want. So sure. So he sends it to me. And this guy's asking for $200,000 for this company. And I'm going through the stuff and I'm like, there's nothing there. I said, there's 192,000 in payables. <laughs> I'm like, all this guy wants is to get enough money for his company to pay his parts bill and walk away, right? Is what he wanted. So I said, my friend said, well, the guy says that, you know, there's like 85 or $100,000 a year available in there. And I'm like, well, where? I don't see any of it. He's, and I said, let's go back to him and talk to him. And, and he came back and said, well, the guy says, well, you know, there's 30 grand for my motorhome. There's all my fuel for the family and all we got all of this and I got all of this and I got all of that. I felt like saying, I didn't meet the guy, the owner, but I felt like saying to him, so dude, we're going to normalize this and you're going to actually show this to a bank. And this is somehow going to get shown to the Canadian Revenue Agency. Like you actually said these words out loud <laughs> to somebody that you were hiding $85,000 and you're trying to sell this thing. I mean, nothing ever happened. I mean, my friend, I says, walk away, walk away, walk away. And he did. Ended up buying a crane company and he's doing fantastic. It's a totally different industry. He's an entrepreneur. He wasn't a technician looking for a shop. But think about that. There was all the guy wanted was money to pay off and there was 85 grand being hidden. And that term normalization, of course, is used commonly. I've heard Hunt use it. Other people use it. It seems to be more an American. Yes, it's done in Canada, yet the concepts are all the same. But it seems like in our case in Canada, when I hear about that, that normalization stuff. Now, there are ad backs that let's just say are reasonable enough. We just they're reasonable. They're legal. They're whatever. We add them back for the sale. Well, and maybe this is not a U.S. Canada thing, but some of those ad backs where these shops have gone way too far, now it's not an ad back, now it's tax evasion. There's my point, right? Like there's a place where those ad backs don't make any sense anymore. And you've just gone way too far. So normalizing the income statement is to sell the business is going to put you in jail if the authorities actually see that documentation. So I have a client down in Florida and he's got a beautiful fishing boat. And he said to me when he bought it, he says, can I write this off? And I laughed and said, well, you can do anything you want, but I'll tell you what, you know what I mean? I'm not a legal professional, tax professional. I'm not going to give legal tax advice. I said, but here's what I'm going to tell you. If you write this boat off at some point, you're opening yourself up to a big thing. And I said, here's what you can do, though. I said, you go around to shops all the time, you know, the Jiffy Lubes and stuff like that, looking to help them out if they have a problem, right? And he goes, yeah. I said, so what if you had a Jiffy Lube that really sent over a couple of big jobs and you invited them on a fishing trip? 
I said, the business can pay the fuel for the day. Take pictures, have documentation on it, and that's legitimate. You can do something like that. Anybody that says they don't live in the gray, I suspect greatly. Like Bill said a long time, you know, at the beginning, a long time ago, like Bill said in the beginning, you know, I don't mind paying taxes. I don't want to pay more than I need to, but I want to pay my fair share because I see taxes as rent for living in a country that is pretty amazing. You want to complain about taxes, start looking at some of the other tax rates in other countries like, uh, sorry, Marty, Canada or Germany or France. And look at those tax rates and you will be pretty grateful. Tell you what, don't pay taxes, hire a security guard 24-7, hire a fireman 24-7, hire a doctor or an ambulance driver 24-7, and let me know how much that is a year, right? I mean, it's worth paying the taxes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a client, he called me up really upset. He says, I'm really mad. I said, what's the matter? He said, I had to pay 50,000 more in taxes than I expected to. And I said, okay. And he goes, it's your fault. And I went, excuse me? And he said, yeah. He says, I said, well, how much more money did you make last year? He said, well, I made $300,000 more in profit. And I said, wow, I want to talk to your accountant. He goes, why? You think something's wrong? I said, no, I want to hire him. Right? 300,000 additional net profit and you're paying 58 k on it? I said, I want that guy in my back pocket. He's either working for the mob or he knows what he's doing. (laughs) Right? So, you know, the thing is, you got to plan for it. You got to prepare for it. One of the things I teach my clients all the time, you start getting your business going and you start getting it better. And you know what you do? Cash starts coming in and you start to spend like a drunken sailor. You've got to stop. And here's what you do. Figure out what your tax rate is, right? And it's pretty simple to do. Figure out what the tax rate is according to your P&L. So the way I do that is look at what you paid in taxes, compare it to what your profit says on your P&L. That'll give you a percentage. Put that percentage away every month. Pay your quarterlies off of that and get everything taken care of. Then you don't have to, because I'll tell you a story. When I first bought my second shop, I kept cash. I had probably ten to $15,000 in cash set aside. And I was talking to my coach and my coach told me, you're stealing from yourself and, you know, cash flow and everything else. And I was like, okay, it made sense. And I put all the money in the bank. And thank God I did, because for those of you, you know, we say until death do us part when we get married. When I got divorced, they, her and her lawyer went looking for cash. They looked at my P&L and said, you should have $100,000 in cash. And I said, fantastic. Find it. I'll split it with you. They said, we want you to pay for the audit. And I went, now you're you're on drugs. So you got to make sure that you're up above board. And the other thing too is if your team sees you taking cash, you're giving them license to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Carm, you talked about integrity and you know something that's a good people steal money. Good people steal money. It's a perfect storm of events. Here's how it starts. You got an advisor on the front counter. They need $40 to go pick up groceries or baby formula or something. And they say, I'll pull it out of the cash drawer and Rick won't mind. And I'll put it back in Monday morning. And they they forget, I'll do it at the end of the week. And then they need a little bit more cash. And then I'll just, you know what I mean? And it just keeps building up. And then their mindset shifts and they start thinking, I deserve this money. I'm working hard and they're not paying me enough. And now they're justifying it instead of putting it back. So you've got to make sure you're watching what you do so that, you know, they're not following in those footsteps incorrectly. 
And yeah. everybody starts with, I'm only going to do it this time. This one time. I got a question about balancing the day. I grew up on, you had this many charge sales, this many cash sales, this many credit card. You pull it all in a bundle. You add all that together. You take the bank deposit back and everything's got to equal the total day. It's called end of day close. Yeah, the end of the day close. And how many just, here, take this to the bank, take this to the bank. Ooh, there's a hundred on top. I'll put that in my pocket with no disciplines, no processes, no accountability. And if the owner just turns that over to other peoples in the bank, hey, listen, could you take the bank run today? And people are just taking a bank run with no, that checks everything into the balance of the day, there's the holes. A little while back, it was October 6th, we released an episode with another coach from the coaches group, Vic Tarasik, employee fraud, tips to prevent fraud and profit leaks. And Vic said confession on that show about how bad he got hurt because he wasn't paying attention. Be amazed at the number of shops. I mean, when I start working with clients that they have no process for end of day close. It's like, well, there's credit cards go through the credit card machine. We get a little bit of cash. Not, We don't get much cash. Most people pay us with checks or credit cards. Well, we get enough checks. We'll take them to the bank. I mean, and it's like, there's no accountability. It's like, if you did this much work, you better know where the money is for that work. And they- It us. blows my mind. After that episode, I was just shaking my head because I had this assumption that everybody does end of day. So I was starting to ask all my clients if they do end of day after that episode. I assumed they did because in the service station industry with the amount of cash we had and tobacco and, and all that kind of stuff, we were counting it to the nickels and the pennies before we went to the bank. We talk about protecting our assets, but so is cash, so is a credit card, and so is a check. And it needs to balance out at the end of the day. Including so, your accounts receivable. So here's yes. a couple of different things. I had a shop up in Ohio. The manager was taking accounts receivable payments and leaving the accounts receivable on the books. I had a shop owner crying one Saturday, calling me saying, I think my manager's stealing from me. And in an hour, we found over $100,000 of theft. And one of the things we were doing, and this is something I train everybody on, I was going through some of the old open tickets that they had. And it was a Chevy Suburban. And on the Chevy Suburban was a slave cylinder as a part. And I asked them, I said, is it a standard? And she goes, no, it's an automatic. Why are you asking? And I said, well, that's what I thought. What happened was we uh, had the trail where we could find out where that went. It went on a Honda, but the person paid cash. So the manager, when he was marking it, paid at the end of the day, opened the ticket back up, took the part off the ticket, and he didn't put it back in the inventory because they did a rolling, like I love a rolling inventory. They were just doing inventory every month so that they knew exactly their inventory was to the T. So he couldn't put it there. So he put it on an old open ticket. So it's not showing up in inventory. And he re-closed uh, the invoice and he pocketed the sale of the part and the tax on the part and over $100,000 worth. So you've got to watch where your cash is going. Maybe you're stealing from yourself because someone else is stealing from yourself. Like you don't have enough cash flow because someone's stealing from you. You've got to have these systems and processes in place because otherwise you're in trouble. Here's another one. I found out that if you let people sign checks, like they sign your name to it and you're aware of it and they embezzle money with those checks, you cannot press charges on them because you were aware they were doing it and didn't do anything to stop it. Don't give them a stamp with your signature on it. Give them a credit card in their name. Let them purchase for the company with that card. Now you can go after them. 
On that note of credit card, you know how, well, at least in Canada, you have a credit card or a debit card, you can add it to your iPhone or to Google Pay. Like you don't actually have to have the card with you anymore, right? You can just tap your phone on the payment device. One service advisor I know, they had a credit card, company credit card for buying stuff that was not on account, had it with her one day, added it to her phone, and there was charges from McDonald's and Tim Hortons coffee and stuff. And they, you know, they called her out on it. It's just kind of like, who gave you the thought that you could actually add the company card well, it was convenient to your phone. Like, well, no, if you're going to buy a set of tires from a new supplier that you don't have an account with, it doesn't need to be on your phone, right? Like it's, so these are other games that people begin to play as well with technology. I have a, a quick comment to make about all of this. We started by, are you stealing from yourself? And I think we've morphed into a really great place about processes, systems, accountability. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think we made our point in the first half hour. I got to link some of the discussion that you're saying to an episode we recently released called the Google nerds, a guide to streamlining your business. And it was with Joe Hansen and AJ Neely. I got to tell you, when they talked about their paperless operation and that every piece of paper is scanned into a scanner, you press a button, it goes to a certain folder in Google Docs, and they live in this world of Google. They were talking about going into documents and typing in a PO number, which equates to the work order, typing in a part number, and every document that would have that, it was OCR, read everything. And if you were looking for a part number that you saw that was in a billing or it was sitting on the floor, you can build the accountability from every vendor invoice, every invoice that it went out on. And I was fascinated. I had goosebumps listening to how they built this accountability with just by scanning every document. If you were worried about credits and cores and outside purchases from the guys who are doing side work. And don't forget, he said I could charge it. And if we're not paying attention to that, we're not looking at a part number that came in from a vendor and verifying it went out somewhere, you found yourself a black hole. Well, the more that you can build into process and establish that accountability prevents these things from happening. Let's start with purchase order numbers. Like, that's... Start with purchase order numbers. Sorry, well, Rick. Yeah. Simple. Use the repair order as a purchase order number so right. you can just track yeah. it, right? That's all you yeah. need. But here's, unfortunately, you know, Bill talked about accountability, but we got to be aware of the liability, right? There's so much you're liable for. And you've got to make sure that it's there. Listen, guys, these were great, great lessons. I have to say that we haven't talked about this often enough on the show. I'm glad we brought this up to the forefront. And I hope we can change some people's habits. But I got a burning question from a half hour ago. You guys are talking about the profit and loss statement. I always enjoyed looking at the profit and loss statement with two additional columns. One of them was the budget and one of them was to last year. So if we knew that we were going through a really tough year, a good year, a bad year, uh, you know, price increases, we could see that my current, say, heat and light was what percentage over last year and or what it was to the budget that we produced. And to me, just looking at those numbers as a return on sales, they were just numbers. I had nothing to look or compare them to. And I always enjoyed that view. We do exactly yeah. that in our business analysis worksheet. We not only have everything, whether it's revenue or expenses, but Next to that, we have actually the budget numbers so they can see how they're doing compared to budget. In another sheet of that, we have the comparison of that they can compare every expense category to prior years and they can see how expenses have grown or reduced if they have been reduced 
Typically, they're not. They can do the same thing with revenue, but you're absolutely right. It's That's when you're really understanding what's happening in the business. Don't take the profit and loss statement as a report card. Oh, I got an A this month, or I, I didn't do so good. I got a D this month, and then bang. It's it, Use the, the information to learn. It's not a report card, and we shouldn't be doing with that with any data in our businesses. Well, it's dynamic. It's a dynamic thing. It's constantly yeah. moving. Yeah. Well, and with the P&L by itself for one month or one year is just a document. Yeah. Yes, it gives you kind of a snapshot of what the business produced and what it cost to produce it. But really, the strength in the P&L is in its trending capabilities, where you can see something going up, going down. And it's really, really powerful. I want to be careful comparing to last year because I find when people see they've improved from last year, they tend to go, oh, okay, we're doing okay. I think I'm just going to relax a little bit. I had a friend who wanted to reduce uniform costs and he thought it was loose, the rags, the whole thing, bought a washing machine to put in the back of the shop. And it would be kind of neat to be able to look at that uniform expense line and see if the goal you set out was really working. And to me, that's the intuitive part where we got this, we're good. No, you got this, but are you sure you're good? And that's one of the things that I loved to see where if the team was pulled together and says, we're doing really good here, we're doing really good here, but we're going to look at these particular costs. And then you let the team know how well they're doing if that was a goal. Absolutely. The other thing that I like to do with the P&L is it's real data. So what are our expenses? And then when you take the expenses, because you know what it cost for this business to function, right? Because you paid the lights, you paid the insurance, right? Everything's right there. Now take that number and then show what sales should have been. Based on that number. Based on that number. Instead of saying, well, I spend all that money and my net profit's really low. It's like, but you're not selling enough. That's what we really have to fix, right? And it's kind of like, you always have to be careful too when people look at expenses in the P&L and go, oh, we better start reducing some of these expenses. It's like, you will never reduce expenses to profitability. You increase sales to profitability. Or gross profit. So we started out, are you stealing from yourself? Please give us a really quick summary on how it affects, of course, succession or selling. Bill, Rick, and then Murray. The selling of the business is, unfortunately, when a lot of people find out and they find out too late, the impact of stealing from themselves, because all of a sudden they have a very low valuation of the business. And then they have to try to convince somebody to pay them a lot of money for the business because they have all this, you know, seller discretionary income or the add-ins. And it's like, folks, it's too late then. When if I'm a buyer and I'm interested in your business, That valuation is based on what I can see and what you can prove. And you can tell me all the stories you want about the extra cash. I'm not buying it. Yeah, no. I was just at a seminar by an expert on this, and he said businesses usually sell for four reasons. One, a death. One's extreme illness. One, a third, divorce. Or fourth, it was planned. He said 90% of the time, it's not planned. (laughs) And you got to be prepared. Just tagging on what you said, Bill is we have to plan this ahead of time because we never know when something's going to happen in our lives. And it was a technician in my class this last week that said that at their shop, they have a hit by the bus policy. What would happen if you got hit by a bus? And hence of reporting 
following up, that whole thing. And I thought, brilliant. What a practical way to run a shop, right? We document everything because what happens if we get hit by a bus? I mean, I guess everybody in that shop is living in fear of getting hit by a bus, but we all can. I mean, it's we can be lighthearted now because we're on the upside of, this, of the grass, but it's that pain that I watch people go through that we could have been prevented if there was a plan. And that, that ties with the valuation. And the other part of it is, is in Canada, you guys can confirm this down the States, but significant, like three quarters of shops that are selling are being bought by either the children of the owner or by a key employees, right? There's not a lot of outside buyers. There's getting to be a few. And imagine if you've devalued this company and now your kid or your head tech is going to take it over. Like, what have you done to them, right? That they would deserve that you devalue this company. Now you're trying to sell it to them, like a couple of suckers, right? So that's another whole way to look at this thing. Great point. Thank you so much. Uh, final word, Mr. White. There's a path to owning a business and you start out as chief everything officer. You're doing it all. You're doing the bookkeeping and the writing and the selling and the fixing and everything like that a lot of times. And then we get better and we get to the point where we have employees and team members and they're doing stuff. And we think when we start to get paid well, that that's the end of the journey, but it isn't. It's the middle and it, you get stuck there. Your job as a business owner is to get it so that business owner is not only just a legal entity seen in the eyes of the state state and the government, but to actually stand on its own without you. You can't do that when you're stealing cash. You can't do that when you're thinking that you're getting paid and it's a paycheck. I want you to get to the point where that business runs without you and you're getting shareholder distributions, no paycheck because you don't work in the company. And that's when you have a business. Now, the business is for sale every single day. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Here's the thing. If it's not on the market, then you're the one buying it. Please (laughs) make sure it's worth buying. Well, what a great point. Thank you so much. Rick White, 180biz, 180biz.com. Bill Haas from Haas Performance Consulting at HaasPerformanceConsulting.com. And Murray Voth from RPM Training. That is rpmtraining.net. Guys, this was great. Very profound, important information. Let's share it with everyone. Now, I know you learned something, so go and do something about it. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 